Tony Speaks, and this is my lovely wife, Kim. We are the founders and co-creators of the lifestyle brand and podcast, Becoming Disciplined. Every week we meet, learn from, and share best practices with highly disciplined men and women from a variety of fields and endeavors. Follow us on our journey. MacArthur Glaze shares an array of life experiences, both positive and negative ones alike, to cultivate a life that speaks to the heart of a generation in terms that come effectively from a veteran. MacArthur's life has mirrored many of the lives of youth he serves in his diverse professional career. MacArthur is a social entrepreneur, speaker and trainer that has a passion to correct the generational ills and challenges that hinder today's youth. A native of South Bay, Florida, he grew up without either biological parent. He rebelled against traditional education systems as a teen. He experimented with drugs and had brushes with law enforcement. Transformed as a young adult, he began giving messages of hope and purpose to young people entrapped in a negative circumstance like he had been. His determination, commitment, and belief in his ability to go beyond being labeled a failure to creating a successful logistics company, nonprofit organization, and now a professional speaking platform with other brands to come, exhibits his don't quit character. MacArthur's sensitivity and understanding of the plight of children journeying in the wrong direction is real. This allows him to speak directly into their situations with clarity and thought-provoking wisdom, creating a call to consciousness. But most importantly, MacArthur L. Glaze is becoming disciplined. Today on Becoming Disciplined, we interview Mr. MacArthur L. Glaze. MacArthur, welcome to Becoming Disciplined. We are so honored to have you. Oh, man, thanks for having me. I'm very honored and I'm humbled to be here. Well, MacArthur, before you educate us and share uh, your story so far, where you're at right now, I think it's good for my audience to be aware of your context, the beginning of your story. Where did you grow up? Man, I grew up in a city called the Muck, man, Belglade, Florida, man, by way of South Bay and Pahokee. Okay. Uh, it's a small migrant town, man, down in um, Western Palm Beach County. Uh, we're known for sugarcane and football players. Right. And also we're known for tough, producing real tough people, man. So uh, if your audience don't know what Palm Beach County is, it's about 45 to 50 minutes north of Miami. Okay. 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 That's good. I, I've, I've done, a, I've spent most of my time in the panhandle in, in Florida. I spent a whole lot of time in Pensacola. But I, yes, sir. I, yes, I went sir. down that way at least once. But, uh, mm -hmm. Now, what was your childhood like? You know, just to give people context, what was what was McCarthy's like as a, as a as a young child? Man, as a child, man, um, my my childhood, man, it, it was it was it was very complex. It was very complex. Um, my mother and my father um, was was both um, heroin addicts. They were both heroin addicts, and I guess this was like in the 60s, and by the time I came on the scene in the early 70s, mid-70s, the boom of the crack era, um, my parents also began to experiment with crack cocaine. So you have the crack cocaine thing going on, you have the heroin going on, being shot in their veins, you have prostitution going on real heavy, you have the marijuana smoking going on, then you have the drinking. So... My mom, man, um, my daddy was somewhat of a pimp, but he had a heroin uh, problem, drug problem as well. And um, my mom, man, lived in Belgrade, Florida, and she lived in these small apartments, man, what they would call Essie Mae. Essie Mae was named after the lady, Miss Essie Mae. Um, she was a great lady, man. Me and her grandson are really good, we're really good friends. And she had a restaurant at the bottom of this particular apartment building. So it was like rooming houses. And the, and the rooms were very small. The bathroom was actually in the hallway. You would, the, room, the rooms were so small that if you threw a rock in, everybody would come out with a knock. But that's just how Belgrade was, how it was built, the apartments, a lot of the apartments was built. So nevertheless, man, um, my mom gets pregnant with me. Um, she continues to use um, heroin and cocaine the whole nine months of the pregnancy. 
So now I'm born. Uh, my mom is living in this little small rooming house. So my dad is long gone by this time. He's gone on with his life. She meets this other guy that lived adjacent to Belgrade in a town called South Bay, Florida. And um, she began to date this guy. And about, I think I was about six to nine months old from the story. It was about six to nine months, probably closer to nine months old, that my mom got so high, her and her boyfriend, they got so high that uh, they forgot all about me. And they left me in this small apartment building for about three to four days. So on the third or the fourth day, the lady that, um, the lady that, well, let me back up, the brother that my mom was dating, his sister came over looking for him. He was fresh out of the military, but he had a drug problem. So she came over looking for her brother. She comes up the stairs. She knocks on the door of the little rooming house. There's no answer. So she goes next door to the next room and knocks on that door and say, have you seen um, such and such? I won't say my real mom's name, but have you seen such and such and my brother? And the neighbor said, no, we haven't seen them. They've been gone probably about three to four days. Um, and she said, well, did you see a little baby that, you know, don't the lady have a baby? They said, we haven't seen a baby either. So she turned to walk away and said, okay, well, tell them, you know, such and such came by, you know, looking for my brother. And, um, but instinctively, as she got ready to go back down the stairs, she came back to the door. She grabbed the doorknob to the door. It was unlocked. The door was unlocked. She opened the door out of curiosity. You know, nobody's answering. You know, what's going on? And she peeps inside and she sees me inside. And I was to the point of death. She grabs me up. She runs downstairs in the waiting car with her sister, her other sister. They take me over to South Bay to her grand their grandmother. They said when I got to South Bay, the feces on my rear end was so hard because I had been there for so long, three to four days. And they said one more day, they think I probably would have died from dehydration or starvation or what have you. So now I'm in this family. The judge gave um, this lady a temporary stay, and this lady's name is Geraldine Jones. That's, she is my mother. I love her. She's passed on over 13 years ago, but she raised me. And she got a stay. The judge said, well, we'll let you keep him for a little while until we find this mother. Never could find my mother. Somewhere strung out on drugs. No big deal. I don't share this to hurt my mom or degrade my mom. This is just a story. That's just the struggle that my mom had at the time. We have our own struggles. It may not be drugs, but all of us have struggles. So um, the judge said, well, I'm going to give you a permanent stay if you'll keep him. She said, yes, I will keep him as my own. So new social security numbers, everything. Raised me up. But as I'm coming up in this family, um, when they was telling me the story, they said I used to run my head and I would get by a wall and bang my head into the wall. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, so they tried to seek out, you know, psychologists or whatever, trying to figure out what's wrong with this, this, this one-year-old baby. Because by this time, I'm a year old. And come to find out that I was going through withdrawals from the heroin. Because my mom, like I said, she shot the heroin the whole nine months of the pregnancy. So the umbilical cord is tied to me. So that so my body, I'm born filled with heroin. I'm born filled with cocaine. And some would say, well, it was nine months. But they continue to use the heroin and the cocaine the whole time I'm crawling around in this small apartment. The cocaine use is going on. The, the prostitution is going on. All of this stuff is going on right in this small room and house while I'm there. So it caused me to have different emotional and psychological issues as I'm growing up in this family. So I'm a typical kid. I don't know this is not my family. So by the time I'm 10, maybe about 10 years old, um, I'm finding out that this is not my family. Kids can be cruel. You're not a part of this family. Um, you're adopted anyway, kiki key. You know, you start to hear those things. So on top of that, you can see I'm a very dark young man. So from home to school, I'm being called dark. I'm being called ugly. I'm being called stupid. I'm being called crazy because I'm reacting to the criticism, the negative criticism that's being spoken in my life. So people see the reaction. 
it's almost like when, when you're in the classroom and the kid hit the kid, but the teacher see the kid that returned the lick. You see what I'm saying? So everybody's seeing the reaction. You see, they're seeing the what, but they don't see the why. So they try to put me in these emotional EH classes, stand for emotional handicap, but you know, I used to ride the short bus, you know, with the wheelchair on the side. So they put me in these little, you know, situations. So, you know, around about 10, I got so angry one day um, because, man, I was just frustrated, you know, just very frustrated, um, just just angry, you know, wondering why, where's my mother, where's my father, why, I'm, why am I being treated this way, why is everybody calling me these names? And um, we had a big tree in the front yard, big old oak tree, and we had a rope in, in the tree. And at the bottom of the rope, it was literally shaped in the form of a noose. We had them tied like a little circle. And back in this time, our parents used to have, or the older people used to have foot tubs. And they used to wash the clothes in the foot tub. They'll fill it with water, soap, and they'll just wash it like that. So I was so upset, man. I grabbed the foot tub. I ran out there, stood up on the tub. I put the noose on my neck. And I kicked the foot tub from under me. And I was hanging on that rope. And as the life was leaving out of my body, man, uh, the lady that raised me, Jordy Jones, her brother, Tracy Dixon, um, came and he snatched me off the rope. And as he was snatching me up, man, I was I was gone. I was going out. And then I would, you know, when he got it off my neck, shaking me, what's wrong with you and all that? And I was crying and screaming and yelling. But I really didn't want to die, though. Mm. It was my cry to tell people that something is going on with me. It was my cry for help. It was the only way I knew how to express myself because there's no man in my life because my mother, Jordy Jones, became my mother. She didn't have a man at this time. So I don't have a male figure to really teach me that it's okay that a young male can express himself this way, especially a young black male. Because when we grew up, if you fell off the tricycle or the bicycle or you scarred yourself up in the road and you ran in the house, mama say, suck it up. Little boys, I'm supposed to cry. And I heard that all my life. So you, you can't cry, you know, so you learn how to hold those emotions in. So you don't know how to express yourself because when you express yourself, you're considered a punk, you're considered soft, you're considered weak. So now you're detached emotionally now. So you're growing up this way. So that followed me through middle school. It followed me through elementary, say elementary school, middle school and high school. So this stigma is on my back. You know, that he's crazy, he's, he's, he's dumb. Then they start calling me dumb and wild, and, and I acted that way. And you know, birds of a feather flock together. So all the guys that I hung with, none of us had fathers. All of us was dysfunctional. You know, we, we, we came up in these dysfunctional situations. So that's why I said my, my childhood was very challenging. Um, from juvenile homes to you name it, it was very challenging. Um, because my mom, she did the best she could. She found a kid. She didn't have a child of her own. So she did the best she could with raising me. She gave me the best loving home she could. She loved me as her own. Uh, she, and to me, she is my mom. Even though I had a biological mom that passed on a little bit after her, maybe about nine years ago. I think eight, nine years ago, maybe eight years ago, my biological mom ended up passing. Um, but we had built somewhat of a relationship. And I love my biological mom. I want to put that out there. I love my biological mom. And like I said earlier, I, I understand now in retrospect that she just had a problem and the way she dealt with her problem was through drugs. You know, and the way she took care of herself at that time was through prostitution. I get it. No degrade here. I love my mom. You know, uh, that's just, that was her story. You know, that was her situation. So my childhood was very challenging. Um, I know I went around Mississippi and back, but it was very challenging, man. Um, uh, a lot of the, the young people that I grew up with, most of them have passed on now. They died young. I don't think most of them didn't live to see 21, 22. They died from probably like 17 to 21, 22. They was all getting killed. Um, I think it's maybe five of us maybe that's still living from that whole crew that I hung with. And South Bay, we used to call ourselves the B-Boys. It was the big B-Boys. You know, you had like Stanley and Bunt and all those brothers. We was the little B-Boys. And um, out of the little young, the younger B-boys, maybe about five of us still living. Um, you know, we kind of scattered one, you know, one is a pastor. I think one has life in prison. Another one just got out of prison. 
Um, another one lives in Tampa. And I think it may be one more out there somewhere. Nay, I just can't think right now. But so very challenging childhood, man. Very challenging. So now, uh, now normally I try to always uh I try to make this a secular, you know, like a secular platform, but today I feel led to just say it like I, I'm gonna say it like I'm gonna say it, you know. Right, right. Who did God send in the midst of all of that painful beginning? If if, if you could look from heaven, who was the person? And of course, He sent your mom, you know, right. your adopted mom. Right. But then after your adopted mom, who was the man that 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 He sent to to, to begin to change the story? Actually, it wasn't a man. Oh, Actually, it was a lady by the name of Fredeva Nelson. Fredeva. I would never forget her, man. She's passed on now. But when I was in the center, um, I think I was about 14. I think I was about 14 years old. And I, and I was uh, real angry at this time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in the center. I'm, I'm very angry. Um, still no father in my life, still don't know where my real mom is. So, you know, so I'm very angry. And this lady was a volunteer and I had gotten a lot of trouble fighting all kinds of stuff. So they put me in confinement and she came there one night and she said, give me the worst kid in here. And they said, well, that's McCarthy Glaze. She came down to the cell and she had been doing it for so long. So she had somewhat of authority. She came to that cell and she opened the door. They made, had the officers open the door. She came in and she said, I'm going to talk to you. And she, they let her take me out of confinement, holding my hand and walk me around the facility while she talked to me. And I'll never forget her words, man. Um, she, she, she grabbed my, my hand and she started to rub on my skin. She said, your skin is so beautiful. She said, you have skin like velvet. She said, you're going to be Dr. Glaze one day. She said, you're going to do some great things in your life. And for the first time in my life, I heard somebody speak life into me. Those was the first positive words I had ever heard in my life. Because I come from a situation where I was always talked about ugly, dumb, stupid, crazy, psycho, all of that stuff. All these crazy words. And then you begin to accept that. So my view of me was through the eyes of those negative people. That's how I saw myself. So to hear this lady give me a different perspective and a different view of what she saw, mm. and I began to believe it. Wow. And then and she imparted, she planted a seed in me that that I never just it sprouted later in life. It didn't sprout then. I still lived some years of just wild, crazy, doing all kinds of things. But at the right time, at the right time, that seed sprouted in my life. And um and that's that's when I was 14, 15 years old, man. And she had she still has her words still have a great impact on my life now. Um, her words live in me. So the MacArthur Glaze that you see and the world see now is a result of Miss Fadiva Nelson. So you you're literally you see my face, you hear my voice, but behind this voice and behind this face is Miss Fadiva Nelson from Rivera Beach, Florida. That's who you see. That's good. That's good. Pay honor. Pay honor where honor is due. Now, right. uh, she planted the seed. Who was the person or when uh, when did you finally leave the streets? Like, when did you when did you finally say, hey, I'm done with it? Um, well, I, I left when I was 28. Um, I got married to my beautiful wife, Kenya. We've been married 18 years now. And it was to a point where I was just tired, man. Um, my cousin. Um, you know, my right hand man, my cousin had just uh, been got indicted by the feds a few years prior, and um, then my best friend, um, my best friend, um, I won't call no names, but my best friend, he was in prison, and so I was, you know, I really was alone, man. You know, I was out there up in the street by myself. I should have been in the feds, but I wasn't. Uh, by the grace of God, you know, the indictment just. It just went over me, you know, and um, so I met my wife, and when I went met my wife Kenya, I was just tired, man. You know, it was just it was more tired. There was not, I can't say it was a person, you know. It was more just me, you know. Um, they say there's a wooing of the Holy Spirit, where it's a point in your life where God begins to woo you by the Spirit, 
And I believe that's what it was. And so I left, um, got married to my wife. Um, I had two boys at the time before my wife. I had already had two boys. So, you know, looking at my boys, um, not wanting to be a deadbeat dad in their lives, not wanting to be incarcerated or dead somewhere. Um, and they had to grow up like me. And then I had my daughter, Asia. And that was just the, the straw for me. And um, so I got in the church. Um, I think I was in church maybe a year and a half. And uh, coming from the street life, man, I'm having a lot of money. It caught up with me because now I'm working a job and the job just wasn't cutting it. So after about a year and a half, I went back in the street and I lived there for another seven years and um, was a part of a second indictment with another one of my partners out of Rivera. Um, was with him when the feds grabbed him. By the grace of God, same thing. He kept it, what, what the streets would say, 100. He didn't tell on me. And um, he kept it 100. You know, that's my boy. Um, so they never touched me. I buy a semi-truck and started the trucking business. And I had a contract in uh, Florida. And the contract went out of business. They say they, um, the contract didn't go out of business. I'm sorry. The people I had the contract with, I was a third party. They lost the contract. And um, by this time, my oldest son was living in Grand Prairie, Texas with his mom, you know, because I raised him. And for that one year, I let him move up here with, with his mom. I, you know, he wanted to stay with his mom. I said, okay, I'll let you go up there, you know, for this one. We'll try it. So when they lost the contract, they was like, well, one of the places we have is in Fort Worth, Texas. In Fort Worth, Texas. So I got them and Googled it and seen it was like 15, 15 minutes down the street from my son. Right. So I told my wife, I said, I'm just going to drive, take the truck up there and I'm going to try it because I didn't want to go back to that life. I was getting tired of the life. Sure. But I still was still, you know, scrabbling the, scrabbling the fence a little bit. So I come to Texas and I get a hotel room. Um, and so I'm living in this hotel. Um, at this time, my marriage was in, you know, in shambles at the time as well because of the way I was living. So God got me up here isolated. For three months, I was in that hotel by myself. And one night I was just laying in the bed. And when I tell you the spirit of God just came all over me, uh, I, I mean, a straight sinner. It was nothing holy about me. Right. And I was just laying in that bed. And, and it's like something just grabbed a hold of me. And I rolled out of the bed on the side of my bed, man, and I just gave my life to Christ. And that was uh, nine years ago. And so for nine years, that was that's this is where I've been. And that was the defining moment for me, man. God got put me in a place of obscurity. He used that job to get me up here away from all the noise. Because in Florida, you know, I had a little reputation. I'm popular. I'm famous. A lot of people know me throughout the state. Right. Um, you know, known for different things, cars and all kinds of stuff I was known for. And um, so I had a lot of noise in my ear. God took the noise away so I can hear his voice, this small, still voice. And he gripped my heart, and I've never looked back, man. You know, my marriage is strong now. Um, I Since been up here, since I've been here, I had another son, my, my, my son Braden, he's nine. Um, and, man, it's just, it was a defining moment. So it wasn't a, necessarily a person. It was that defining moment for me. That's powerful. Now, uh, let, I always like to give advice to the younger version of you. <laughs> uh, uh, so, um, for a young man who did not grow up with a father figure, and I know quite a few, uh, right. you know, you have now been, you know, you you raised, uh, you know, three to four children. Uh, what advice do you give to that young man who's never had a father figure? What advice do you want to give to that young man who's looking? Like matter of fact, there's a young man I'm mentoring right now. You know, he right. didn't have a father figure. And he's calling me every day, telling me how worn out he is because he's taking care of the baby himself. You know, he don't have any, he don't have a whole lot of support. And uh, and right now, what advice do you have to give to that young man? Well, I would say to any young man that that that's that are, that's growing up without a father, or if he's a man now in that situation, I would tell him to be the father that he needed when he grew up. Be the man that he needed when he grew up. That's the first thing I would say. Be the man. Because you knew you know what you need. I know what I needed. I didn't get it, but I knew what I needed. I, I, I won't even say I know what I needed. I knew what I desired. 
I knew what I desired to have in a man and in a relationship. So be that. And the next thing I would say is get a mentor like he had in yourself. Mm-hmm. I would I would find me a mentor. Um, I would listen more than I speak. I was I, I would be a sponge. I would study everything that I can get my hands on. And and I won't be so hard on my father. Because I remember one time, um, I was, you know, you know, you grow up, you know, you kind of have a little, you know, cold heartedness for your dad. He wasn't there, so it's like so I remember probably my second year in Texas. I was struggling as a father, same way your your mentee is. Man, I was struggling, man. I mean, seriously struggling as a father, man. Trying to hold it together, trying to hold together marriage, trying to hold together kids, a family. And I, I remember, I'll never forget this, man. I heard God clear as day. God said, you see how you're struggling right now? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's tough, Lord. He said, just imagine your daddy at that age. Mm-hmm. He said, imagine what your daddy probably was going through mm-hmm. at that age. So this is why you can't be hard on your father when you don't know the whole story. And ever since then, man, it changed my whole perspective about fathers not being in the lives of children. It's not an excuse, but it changed my perspective because you never know what a man is facing in silence. That's good. That's good. That's good. Now, one question about the life. Um, what wore you out about the life? Because you spoke about just being tired of being. Was it the not being able to trust folk? Was it uh, seeing the destruction that the life can cause in other areas? Or was it the stress of not knowing when the, when the popo was going to come in and, and, and take everything away? What was the element that really was the part that wore you out about that life? Because there's a lot of, and the reason why I ask right. is there's people who glamorize the life. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's people who always try to, matter of fact, one of the biggest YouTube channels out there is the mafia, you know, guys who got out the mafia and now they're telling their story. Um, what part of the life wore you out? Because I know what that feels like to be wooed by the Holy Ghost. But for me, it was a different scene. It wasn't, I wasn't in the life. I tried to get in the life. I tried to right. move a key when I was young. And, and, and you know, I was summarily rejected. You know, they, right, they, right. You know, no one trusted me. They was like, hey, you, you look like you police. Get away from me. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so, so I was not, I never, I never got in the life. But I know what it's like to be worn down by sin. And, and, right. and, and I know what that's like. Uh, there was a family that, that kind of took me and my wife in and we loved them to death. Um, what was it that wore you out that, that got you to that point? Because I think young folks need to hear. Like, it's having no peace, man. No peace. I had no peace at all. Um, you know, you constantly got to stay scrapped. Right. Can't sleep. You got to always watch, look out the, out the window all night. You got to always watch your back going home. Um, because not only is the police after you, you know, guys you hang with, the jealous dudes you hang with, you know, um, the jack boys, everybody eyes is on you. You know, the girls that's trying to set you up for their cousins, their brothers and their boyfriends. Um, so it, it was just the peace, man. Um, and then all of the above, what you say, you know, just knowing, you know, if you keep doing this and keep living this life, you're going to be taken away from your kids. Um, it got to a point, man, in the beginning where it was all about the money. You know, growing up poor, you know, you just, if you, money, you know, you poor, you just, you just want money. And by any means necessary, like Malcolm X said, that's just the mentality. Um, and however you, however you have to get it, you know, I, one of the things we used to say in Florida is get it how you live, you know. And it was just that mentality, just get it how I live. And um, it, it got to a point where, the money wasn't the issue. I had so much money. I had reached a certain level. It wasn't even about money anymore. I had money, I had cars, women. It wasn't even about it anymore. Um, it was it was about the power that it gave me. I fell in love with the power. I fell in love with the VIP treatment. I fell in love with hanging with celebrities. I fell in love with dating celebrities. I fell in love with just that that whole mantra, man, of being the man. And um, but behind closed doors, though, I didn't have no peace. Mm. So my outward look, jewelry, everything looked good. It looked glamorous. But 
it just wear you down, man. I just got wore down. I was tired. Um, it, it's almost like, like you just, you like three or four days, like, you know, when you're young, you're 18, 19, you go to these, um, weekend events and you stay up three nights in a row. And it's like that third night, man, your feet hurting, your head hurting, you're hungry, you're tired. That's how I felt. I felt just like the weight was on me, man. Like I had been off for three days and it had literally been, you know, 20 years. But I felt like, you know, I had been up for three days and it was just tiresome. And the first thing I can honestly say when I gave my life to Christ, man, he gave me a peace, man, that's out of this world. He gave me peace out of this world. So, yeah, the life looked glamorous. The bling bling looked glamorous. But the torment that comes with it, man. You know, the constantly looking over your shoulders, man. The fear of, not necessarily fear, but just, just the, the thought that any day could be your last day. Because when you put in your yard, you don't know who's waiting around the corner for you. You don't know who's standing around the building because you're the man you target. You got all this money, you got all this jewelry, you got all these cars, you hang with all these celebrities, you're a target. You know, so for me, it, it was just, it was just the, the weight um in peace man like, it was just just no peace man there's no peace in it at all now when did you discover that you were dope on the mic when did you discover that you were a great public speaker man um i i appreciate that compliment man i don't really consider myself a great public speaker um i just i just think i'm okay you know i really i really i'm humbled by that that you think that about me thank you so much for that um, it took me a while, um, uh, to really believe in myself, man, um, uh, because, um, I, I mean, let me tell it like this. I, I went to ministry school. I got my ministry license. I got in school at my church, went through two years of training. And the last semester is all about preaching. So you go to school for two years and then the last semester, it's all about the sermon, sermon preparation being on stage, all of that. That's all it's about. And um, and so you have to write practice sermons. They'll give you a text and they'll give you, you know, they won't give you a title, but they'll give you a text. And the whole class got the same text. And so you have to come back in and preach. Uh, I can't even remember how many minutes it was, man. Maybe like three minutes, four minutes. I don't know. It, it wasn't that much time. And you have to come in and you have to sit preach in front of all the elders. It's like they have like three or four elders. And you have to preach in front of the elders and get critiqued. And then your classmates critique you as well. But your classmates do anonymous critiquing. But the elders actually critique you and give you your real critique, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> uh, I came in. I think I preached the sermon, man. I was nervous the whole time, man. I preached... Um, uh, I can't even remember the title of it, man. Uh, something about being denied or something, man. I preached from my experience. And I was nervous, man, because you don't know who name they're going to call because everybody's going to get called every night. So a couple people went and they called my name. And I called the glaze. I was like, Lord have mercy, man. You know, hey, come this big tough guy from the street. And I just melted down in my seat, like, Lord have mercy, man. Uh, oh, I preached despised, but not denied. That was my message. Despised, okay. but not denied. So I got up to preach. And um, when I was preaching my sermon, man, my classmates, man, they just, they was like in awe, you know. And then when you get done preaching, you have to stand there and get critiqued by the elders. And um, it was nothing but positivity, man. And um, some of the people were saying, how long have you been preaching? People thought I had been preaching for years. That was my first time ever preaching. My first time ever writing a sermon and preaching a whole sermon. That was the first time I had ever attempted to do anything like that. And this, the highest score you can get is a 10. And I got a 9.9. .9. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. But, I this, though, but I still didn't have confidence. And I started, you know, people started, when I got out of school, people started calling me and started using me, but I still didn't have the confidence. Mm -hmm. And I still struggled with it. I mean, people would be, you know, just running to the altar crying. I used to preach at a prison, man, with like 200 some men, 200 men to come to the altar after the sermon. 
And it was to always blow my mind because I'm like, man, what am I saying? I used to always say, what am I saying? Like, to me, I don't sound good. To me, um, it sounds dumb. It sounds stupid. And uh, I remember one day, man, back in uh, 2018 when we was um, preparing to move in this house we're in now. I was at the, at the apartment we was living in one day. I was by myself. And um, God began to speak to me. And he said, you remember the second grade? And I had, in the second grade, I had a teacher named Miss Washington. And she used to always tell me, she said, you talk too much. All you do is talk. She said, I bet you talk in your sleep you talk so much. She said, you got me from Missouri. You know, she, she said, Geeches don't do nothing. Eat rice and talk. She used to tell me this every day. She said, McCarthy Glaze, she used to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Motormouth. Then she said, you know what? That's what I'm going to call you. Your name is Motormouth. So when I came to her class, she used to say, Motormouth, Motormouth. You, you talking motor mouth? And my name became motor mouth. Wow. I was no more McCarthy Glaze. So it made me didn't want to really talk. Mm. And God showed me that that was the devil trying to shut my mouth at, in the second grade. Mm. And he showed me that's where the fear of speaking came from. Mm. And in 2018, man, God delivered me from that. That's awesome. So from 2018 to now, give me a mic, man. <laughs> that's blessed. Man. Keep me on mic, bro. I'm ready for it. <laughs> that is blessed. That is blessed. Now, since you've been on this side, since you've been in ministry, has there been has there been a mentor or someone that inspired you with their level of discipline? Oh yeah, man. My pastor, man. Uh, my pastor, man. Bishop Jakes. Um, um, uh, I mean, powerful man of God. The way he do things, the way he carry himself. Um, the way he ministers, man. I mean, the world, most of the world know him. Um, great man of God, man. I, I follow him a lot. I listen to him a lot. I watch all of his interviews um, so I can learn how to interview. And outside of him, man, it was it was several people that God used to impact my life, though, on this side. My, uh, my big brother back in Florida, Greg Williams, Minister Greg Williams, he's a preacher at Oak Church of God, the first church I ever went to. And the pastor of that church, Bishop Bud Mickens, is, I mean, Great man of God, um, a father figure, um, Kenneth Jackson, uh, was a great inspiration to me, man. And here in Dallas, um, my, 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 my boy, man, uh, Vinshaw Dobbins, um, God has really, you, you know, used him to loosen some things in my life and some biases that I had. Um, he's used him to challenge me on different levels. Um, so I can appreciate those men. And um, and then I have to throw a woman in there as well. Um, another friend of mine, um, um, Rita Reyes, she's an elder. Um, if I had a woman best, best friend, it would be her. Um, she she has spoken some powerful things in my life. And she the one actually prayed me back in the church when I backslid the first time. Um, you know the movie War Room, how the lady put the press? She did that for real for me. And she do it for others as well, but she prayed me back in the church. Awesome. And um, and my and 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 my father figure, Ken Jackson's wife, man, Narissa Jackson. She's transitioned on now, but she was another one that was um, uh, that was inspirational in my life as well. That prayed me back in the church. So it was a group of people that God used, man. They say it takes a village, and that was my village that that really poured into my life, man. Because I was so messed up, bro. You got to really remember, man, that. When, when, when you're constantly being told you're ignorant, you're dumb, you're stupid, you're crazy, and you begin to believe that, you act that way. Your character is shaped by the negative words and the toxic words of those people. Sure. And all of those negative words cause you to be toxic. So everything about me was toxic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just toxic. I was a ticking time bomb. My attitude was quick, bad. Nobody wanted to make me mad because I'm, I'm going to snap. And then when I snap, there's no telling what I'm going to do. I was a time bomb. So God had to use different people at different stages of my life to get me to be this person that I am now. I mean, the greatest thing that I think God used, man, was failure. Mm -hmm. Failure was my greatest teacher. It was, it, it was my greatest teacher, man. Failure, and I think the substitute teacher for me was pain. Mm -hmm. You know, those were the things that God used to shape me to be McCarthy Glaze that I am now. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now, uh, let's rewind three years. Uh, what disciplines or advice would you give 
to a young person who just discovered, or matter of fact, not, not, not necessarily a young person, could be any person that discovers they have this gift of public speech. Uh, what, what advice would you give them about establishing their platform and about, you know, uh, moving forward in that gift? Um, well, what I would say is just hone your gift, man. I would tell them to read everything they can read. That's the first thing, man. You want to be well studied because uh, when you open your mouth, you know, everybody is listening when you open your mouth. So you want to know what you're talking about. So if you're talking about bananas, you want to be able to shred bananas apart. You want to know everything about a banana, how it's grown, where it comes from, how it's harvested. You want to know about the peelings inside of the banana. You want to know everything about that banana. Whatever you're teaching on, you know, you want to be an expert on a topic that you open your mouth on in the field that you're in. And I would say um, develop develop your disciplines very real early. Develop your disciplines, man, uh, whenever it, it's, it's hard because people are out doing everything that they want to do. And you have to be the one that say, I'm not going to the movies. You have to turn off the football game. Um, I think in 20, I want to say 2017, I don't think I watched one football game. And I love football. Let me tell you, I am a football fanatic. Amen. When I say fanatic, from <laughs> Thursday to Monday night, football. Right, right, right. I right, see right. every game. I watch a MIAC game, a SWAT game. It don't matter. I just want to watch football game. I think in 2017, I, I didn't watch a football game. I was committed to my craft. I was committed to studying. So you have to discipline yourself, man. You have to be relentless because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You got to be able to get back up, man, and start over. Um, you have to be relentless. But the main thing is, man, you got you to you be disciplined, man. I would say build that discipline into your life early on so it won't be a struggle when it's time, when the platform blow up. Um, as far as how you develop your platform, man, just keep content out there. And I'm not, And I don't even do that a lot. Um, but keep content, as much content as you can get out, just get it out. Just get the content out. Don't try to be a perfectionist, man. Just get the content out. Because if you keep trying to perfect it all the time, you'll stay in the lab and you'll never put nothing out. And you'll get better as you put content out because you'll listen to it. People will critique you. People will tell you things. And then people, the things you, some of the content you would think is trash, man. You'd be amazed how people come back and say it best their life. And so a lot of times you just put the content out. From a spiritual perspective, um, the anointing don't really need no gift at all. Your gift needs the anointing, but the anointing don't need the gift. So if you just anointed, you could spit some stuff out there, man, and it'll hit and do what it needs to do. Just pure anointing. But we all know that that anointing is only going to come when when you spend time with God, number one, and when you go through the crushing process, number two. Uh, area that most people don't want to go through. So put in the work, man. Put in the time. It's just like LeBron. We we admire LeBron now, but LeBron been doing this since he was a kid. LeBron put in major work, even in the offseason. LeBron putting in work. I remember a time with LeBron. I think it was uh, Jerry Rice. Um, he they won the Super Bowl. I can't remember did they play in Miami or somewhere. And a week after the Super Bowl, Jerry Rice went to work out. And they was like, "What you doing?" He said, "I'm preparing for the next season." See that discipline. You got to be willing to do what nobody else want to do if you want to be great. Eric Thomas, he said he's the greatest motivational speaker in the world. He can take that title and claim that title because of the work that he put in. So you don't have to be the best orator or the best speaker. You just got to outwork everybody. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, you're also an entrepreneur, I believe I read in the profile. Yes, sir. Uh, Yes, sir. there, There are various properties that make a good entrepreneur. There's marketing. There's sales, there's accounting, there's strategy, there's creativity, there's technical expertises. What do you consider your strong points and what do you consider your undeveloped areas? My strong point as an entrepreneur, uh, I'm a risk taker. I take major risks. Um, I take so many risks. My wife is scared, gets scared. My partner, Anthony, up there, he gets scared. He's like, man, I can't do that. I am a major risk taker. Um, I have no fear. When it comes to uh, losing or failure, because I believe money is currency, and if you lose it, it's going to come back. Um, so I think my, you know, and I'm a visionary as well. You know, I can I, I can see things. You know, I can see ideas. I mean, I can create ideas easy. I can easily create ideas. I think my undeveloped area. My, I'm not going to say my under. Well, you say undeveloped, but 
my weakest area. I'll use that. My weakest area is probably um, I try to put too many irons in the fire at one time. Mm. That's probably my, my weakest area because I, I try to put too many irons in the fire at one time sometimes and it can be overwhelming. Um, I got a friend in Tallahassee. He's a brand expert named Mosquito Jones. That's my boy, um, my partner, my right-hand man. And um, he's a brand expert. He works with big brands. And, man, I probably call him five, eight, five, six, seven, eight times a week with different ideas. Right. And he's like, your brain just, just be spinning. So that that's, that's a weakness because you have to fully develop one area before you can move to the next area. And sometimes I don't fully develop an area and because of so many ideas in my head. My, my, my mind is constantly twirling. I can think of like 15 different businesses and 15 different ways to do it like in one day. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I have all kinds of great ideas, great strategies, and I can see how to do it, how I want it, what to call it, all of that. I can write the marketing plan down. I can write it. I can have all of this stuff. And sometimes my boy have to push back and be like, Man, I think you ought to stay focused over here. So I would say that's my weak area. If I had one, that, that's definitely my weak area. Now, as a high performer, how well do you sleep, especially with all those ideas in your head? You sound <laughs> for a good six to eight hours? Man, <laughs> man my daughter say I have insomnia, man. I, I sleep. Man, I'm going to tell you something. I, my wife say I nap. I don't sleep. <laughs> so... On a typical day for me, uh, I get in probably about, for my first business, I get in typically about 3 to 4 o'clock. Um, some days a little early. I get in between 3 and 4. I come in. I go and lock in my room. I debrief for about 30 minutes to an hour. Um, then I go take a walk around my community and get me a good probably a mile and a half, two miles in. And uh, then I deal with my kids. Then by that time, my wife is coming home. You know, kind of, you know, seeing what the family's doing. Maybe about 9, 30, 10, me and my wife may get in the bed. I may, I may doze off for maybe about probably 30 minutes. Right, right, right. And then I'll be, I'm up to about 4 o'clock. Wow. And then I'll doze back off and then 5 o'clock I'm up going to work. I hear, I hear. That's, that's, that's like an every night occurrence, man. So I, I might sleep two hours a night. I might get two hours a night in. Uh, every now and then it'll catch me and I'll sleep all night, but it's, it takes, it probably take me three weeks. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not sleeping that much. Um, I don't read as much as I used to, but when I, when I was a, I was an avid reader, when I read a lot, um, I would stay up all night reading. Mm-hmm. Literally. I would drink coffee and read all night. I probably drink three, about three cups of coffee and I read all night. I read everything, Bible, whatever I'm reading. Um, other books, all kinds of stuff, man. John Maxwell, Bishop Jakes, all kinds of people, man, just reading. Um, so I don't do that as much as I used to, but I'm still up because I've developed that habit. So I'm just up, you know, doing a lot of research. A lot of things are just digital now. So, you know, I could just grab my phone on my iPad and I could just start researching some stuff. So a lot, most of the nights I'm researching, or I might be in clubhouse listening to something positive or something like that. So I'm not sleeping as well as I should. No, that's not a good thing. But you know what, though? But, but you know what I'll say this, though, Tony? You know what, though? Um, I don't need that much sleep, though. So I think for, 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 for everybody, it's different. And I think every entrepreneur needs to know how much sleep they need. For somebody, it might be a full eight hours. Another person might need five. Another person probably can sleep off three or four hours. So everybody needs to know their own body. For me, that works for me. It might not work for somebody else. Yeah, six is good for me. Six is good. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Six hours a kid, I can't sleep six hours. <laughs> now, you mentioned reading. What book outside the Bible do you recommend for either public speakers or entrepreneurs? Man, um, Robert Aries. Okay. You Are the Message. That's a good book. Robert Aries, You Are the Message. That That is a great book right there. That's a good book to read. Um, anything John Maxwell, okay. anything John Maxwell, especially if you're, if you're speaking is, has to do anything to do with leadership, sure. anything John Maxwell. Um, I would say Bishop T.D. Jakes, he has a book on destiny. Mm-hmm. It's a good book. Um, uh, the Bishop Jakes has a lot of books, man. I mean, anything <laughs> on Bishop T.D. Jakes. Matter of fact, I think he has a new book out now called Drop the Mic or something like that. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I, I, 
I'm definitely gonna read it. There's nothing he dropped that I won't read. Um, so, and he has books that's not just Bible too. You know, he has books that's not just Bible. So anything on those those guys right there that come to mind like immediately, John okay. Hope Bryant. Okay. Yes, John Hope Bryant. That that's another book. Anything on John Hope Bryant as well. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Now, becoming disciplined. We examine discipline or organization in the following areas: spirituality mental discipline, physical discipline, emotional intelligence, financial discipline, time management, and home and data organization. Which one of these do you consider your strong points and which one of these is an undeveloped area or a weak area, whatever you, whatever you prefer? I would say spirituality, even though I don't like the word spirituality. That would be my strong spirituality and finances. Okay. Those would definitely be my... Um, my two. Uh, I would put time management in at third. Um, my weakest one would be, I don't know. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really know, but I don't know. I don't know which one would be my weakest. Sure. But That's there's definitely a weakness there, but I, but I don't know. But right okay. now, those would be my top three as far as. And that's the purpose of the podcast, to get you thinking about it. You know, that, yeah, that's, the per- yeah. that's the purpose of the podcast, to make people pause and reflect. Say lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, uh, what, can, what can you tell us about both MacArthur Glaze LLC and Rebirth Inc.? MacArthur Glaze LLC, man, is a consulting business. That's where I do my consulting. Um, with MacArthur Glaze LLC, man, I uh, train any organizations that work with kids. I develop a training called the Y Experience. Um, and the reason I call it the Y experience, because a lot of people judge what the kids, what without knowing their why. And I don't think you can judge my what until you know my why. So example, we see little Johnny, um, he's 13 years old. He comes into detention center two or three times a year for stealing, breaking in cars, breaking in stores. And the judge just see Johnny, car thief, theft. That's all the judge see. Now, one part of that I understand because the judge caseload is big. But the other part I don't like about it is he never really understand why Johnny's doing it. And then when you dig into Johnny's why, you find out that Johnny's father was killed in gang violence. His mother is somewhere strung out on drugs, and he's being raised by his grandmother that's on a fixed income. And so Johnny is breaking in cars and breaking in hot in, 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 in um, apartments or whatever stores so he can feed himself. And then he's well, he's he's stealing out of Walmart or he's stealing out of Foot Locker so he can get him some Nikes so he can have positive self-esteem or strong self-esteem when he go to school. Because middle schoolers can be cool. What are those? Right, right. You see right. what I'm saying? What are those? So when you dig into Johnny's life, you understand that the 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 what to the to the why is his situation. Same thing with anybody. It could be Kimberly, it could be, it could be Steve, it could be John. So I created that training and and also I help um, any youth programs develop stronger programs or develop a mentoring program. So that's McArthur Glaze uh, LLC. Rebirth is my nonprofit. That's my baby. That's my my nonprofit where I work with young boys. That's that's uh, it's more like a glove when they get out of the detention centers. It's more like a glove because one of the missing parts um, to that whole uh, justice system is for juveniles. They don't have nothing for them when they get out. You know, they let thirteen year old, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old Johnny out. And Johnny has nowhere to go. He's going back into a broken situation. So at Rebirth, we have 27 training courses where we try to take the kids through trainings from financial literacy to anger management, which we don't call it anger. We call it be cool, to emotional intelligence, um, um, communication skills, team dynamics, teaching them how to work as a team so when they can get a job, they're not on the job trying to fight and bully everybody. And they understand when problems arise on the job that they know how to positively articulate themselves to the supervisor or positively articulate themselves to the team instead of just, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And grabbing a gun or grabbing a knife and want to hurt somebody and letting them know that it's okay to express yourself 
and articulate yourself, what you really feel and what you think. So that's what Rebirth is, man. It's, it's, it's a nonprofit where uh, we mentor through life skills. I don't believe personally that true mentorship is taking a kid and shooting basketball with him all day right. or taking them to a football game. I don't think that's true mentorship. I think that's a part of it, but I don't think that's all entail it, it entails. I think if I'm going to be have an hour with you, I think true mentorship is pouring into you for that hour, mm-hmm. making a deposit into a child's life. So when that child is old enough, he'll have something to withdraw from. That's what rebirth is all about. That's powerful, bro. I can I can see that gifting in you, man. When you when you talk about kids, man, you 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 light up, man. Yeah, you yeah, man. They're, they're my passion, man. <laughs> they're my heart. Because see, I used to be one of those broken kids. I explained my story earlier, and so I understand the mentality and the mindset of what people will call a thug. When I understand the the, the guy that's on YouTube with all the AKs, the Dracos, the nines, the extended clips. You know, smoking the blunts. I understand that life. I know what he's thinking in his head. I know how he feels. I know where he comes from. I know what he's trying to say without saying it. I understand the language. So I'm automatically drawn to them. You see what I'm saying? Because if everybody just continue to look over the kids and say, those kids are wild. Oh, what this, this world has come to. Oh, this generation is out of control. Okay. I agree with all that, but let's get out. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's take our collars off, our suit and ties off, our Brianna suits off, and let's go and get our hands dirty. Because if everybody just keeps sitting back and say, oh, these kids are wild, they're going to continue to be wild. They don't have no boundaries. We're not going to be able to save them all. But if I can get two or three or four, and then they can go back and pour into their friends, and then he can go back and pour into his friends, I can reach a million kids before I die. That's awesome, brother. That's awesome. Now I got I got one. This is I just thought about this before we close out. This is my second to last question. Um, you know, I know you have a heart for those who came up and they came up that 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 hard knock life. What about the kids? A little bit like my story, where I had a mom and dad, right? And and I still tried to get into, you know, I I still tried to get into that life, even though. I had no, I had no excuse. I, there was right. no reason for me to be in that life, and right. I still tried to get into that life, even though I grew up in a suburban, you know, mom and dad both in the home. You know, uh, what do you? How frustrated do you get? And can do you still have a ministry for those kids who they're trying to get into that life, but they're they're not really coming from a hard knock life. They're just kind of forcing their way into the lifestyle. Yes, they're just attracted to the lifestyle. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, what, I have what, a ministry for them. Yeah, I have a, I have a ministry for them as well. I reach them as well. See, because the biggest misconception is because I have a mom and father in my life that I don't have issues. Right, right, right. You see what I'm saying? So I know many men and many young men that have parents and they have a disconnect because a lot of times, just because a father is in the home, don't mean that he's emotionally or mentally connected to the home. He can be a busy dad. He's never paying attention to his children. You see what I'm saying? He could be a workaholic because he have his own issues in his life. So I reach everybody. My net is broad. I can talk to those kids too because they have a story. They have things inside of them. They struggle with low self-esteem, low self-worth. You see what I'm saying? People pick on them. You know, they're angry. They have anger issues. You know, it could be a situation where uh, the father's in the home, but he's abusing the mom. You see, he could be coming from an abusive home. It could be alcohol, alcoholism in the home. So you throw your net out broad, right. you know, and whoever you catch, you minister to them. Amen. Whoever you catch, you help them. Amen. That's good stuff. Well, Mr. Glaze, we can't thank you enough for coming on. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. We truly appreciate you. You have the last word. Just so you know, for our, our audience, it's typically 30-year-olds uh, to around 55-year-olds who are trying to be better. They're trying to be better versions right. of themselves. They're trying to become disciplined. You have the last word. Do you have any closing thoughts for our audience? Man, uh, first of all, I would just say um, uh, thank you for exposing me to your platform. You didn't have to allow me um, to speak on your platform, man. I'm humbled by it um, that you would you know, look at a little kid from Bell Glade living down here in Dallas 
you decide to bring me on your platform, man, and just share my story, just share whatever knowledge I have. Um, I just pray and hope that it helps somebody. Um, and I would just encourage your audience, man, to, if you don't know your purpose, seek God for your purpose. And when you know that purpose, run after it, don't look back. If you enjoyed MacArthur L. Glaze half as much as we did, we encourage you to follow him on the following platforms. Becoming Disciplined looks forward to working with MacArthur Glaze in the near future. Now before you leave, don't you dare forget to click that like button. Click that subscribe button so that you can get more podcasts from Becoming Disciplined.